But one thing we do know is that we are a forgiven and a beloved people. And so with that knowledge, let us hear with our hearts as well as our ears our gospel reading for today. Today's scripture has us still in the gospel of Matthew. And so we are now in Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 23. I am reading from the Common English Bible translation, but as always, I encourage you to hear this or to follow along in the biblical language which best connects you with God. So once again, let us hear from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, verses 12 through 23. And we start with Jesus' move to Galilee. Now, when Jesus heard that John was arrested, he went to Galilee. He left Nazareth and settled in Capernaum, which lies alongside the sea in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. And this fulfilled what Isaiah the prophet had said. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali alongside the sea, across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who lived in the dark have seen a great light and a light has come upon those who lived in the region and in shadow of death. And from that time, Jesus began to announce, change your hearts and lives. Here comes the kingdom of heaven. Now let us hear of Jesus's calling of the first of his disciples. As Jesus walked alongside the Galilee Sea, remember, he's just moved there. So as he's walking alongside the sea, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, throwing fishing nets into the sea because they were fishermen. Come and follow me, Jesus said, and I'll show you how to fish for people. Right away, they left their nets and followed him. And continuing on, he saw another set of brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, and repairing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And so Jesus traveled throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues. He announced the good news of the kingdom and healed every disease and sickness among the people. Thus ends our reading. These are the lessons of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, this encounter with Jesus at the lakeshore is one that may seem familiar to many of us who grew up in a Jesus-focused faith tradition. And in fact, you may have heard it in a few different ways, but all of us, I think, who are familiar with it may have a different version being our quote-unquote favorite, because everyone has a favorite text, right? Yeah. Not just me, clearly. <laughs> Each of our synoptic gospels, and we call them our synoptic gospels, the Matthew, Mark, and Luke, because they all create like a synopsis. They all present a similar narrative related to the life of Jesus 
Each one speaks of this moment, but gives us a different version of the encounter. Each has a different attention to a different detail. And depending on the message, that detail is what they need to convey their particular understanding of Jesus, who Jesus is to them and their particular community of concern. And so I don't want us to, to think that just because we have different varying versions of the same story, it doesn't make it true. We all have had those moments where we have been in a situation and everyone has had a different perspective of what's been happening. Amen? Our biblical texts are no different. And I find comfort <laughs> in that. Now, Matthew in particular is different because it is what many scholars consider the most Jewish of the Gospels. That's the reason why, even though it's not the oldest gospel, it occurs first in our canon, because it is the natural pickup from the storyline of the Hebrew scriptures. It is the most Jewish of the gospels. Matthew is a Jew writing to other Jewish people. And so his focus is on reminding or convincing first century Palestinian Jews that Jesus is, in fact, the promised Messiah that they have been waiting for their whole lives, the Savior, the Anointed One, the one who's going to make everything better. Fun fact, the Gospel of Matthew is the only book to point out that Jesus came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. That's why we have this kind of seemingly random, to us at least, start to our text about Jesus' comings and goings and where he moved to and where he settled, because Matthew is putting out there that first and foremost, Jesus is meeting all of the criteria that have been put forth by the Hebrew texts about who the Messiah would be and how you would know them. That is how Matthew is starting off, because he wants you to know that Jesus' movements is a marker of his true identity. He makes a point to alert the hearer or the reader that Jesus is all he says he is because he continues to check off all of the messianic boxes. But that's not what I want us to focus on today. Just giving a little bit of information as to why this text looks the way it does. We can always have a Bible study on prophetic traditions at some other time. I'm sure you all are just so excited for that. But what I want to dig deeper into is not the fulfilling of the prophecies or even at the end of our text, the, the healings and miracles. What I want to dig deeper into is what happens in verses 18 through 22. What the Matthew text refers to as the calling of the first disciples. Now, on the surface, this act of dropping everything and following Jesus seems, in and of itself, miraculous. Amen? Amen? How many of us here would be willing to just drop it all if somebody showed up at your place of work and was like, hey, leave that. Come follow me. It depends on if you really like your work, right? It really depends. But that, in and of itself, seems miraculous. 
And when you read the chapters of Matthew leading up to where we find ourselves today, which, of course, everyone's read the previous chapters of Matthew. I mean, that's just silly to expect that you wouldn't have. But when we read up to this point, there is no real explicit mention of these guys ever having any previous experience with Jesus. So why in the world would these guys just drop everything and follow a random itinerant preacher. One of, might I add, many random itinerant preachers claiming to be the Messiah at that time. Remember, these folks who rely, these are folks who rely on fishing. This is their main means of supporting themselves and their family. It's their entire livelihood. So the fact that this detail is added by Matthew, that they drop everything and follow, is a really big deal. And this is why, when we wonder why would they ever do this, this is why it's important to remember, as I mentioned before, that our three gospel writers give us different details about the same moments of Jesus' life and ministry. And sometimes, again, another shocker for everyone, so I'm glad you're seated, sometimes you got to look at everything to get all of the information in order to make sense of something. Isn't that a fun little, little truth bomb there? And so if we look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke in conversation with one another, we get a more complete picture of what's happening and we can, can explain why they would have left everything the way they did. Because you see, when you read the three gospels together, you realize these guys probably knew Jesus already before they were even called from their boats. They were already disciples. It's believed that based on the Gospels, when they're read together, Andrew was more than likely already a disciple of John the Baptist. Simon, his brother, would have been invited along to meet this wild preacher in the wilderness. And he would have also, being a deeply spiritual man, been involved in John's ministry which means that one or both of them may have even been present for Jesus' baptism and therefore God's revelation of Jesus' true nature. Or, if they weren't there because they were fishing, they may have heard it from John the Baptist. They would have heard about what happened in the River Jordan and they would have believed him. Which means that Simon, now Peter, that's not confusing, and Andrew would have been familiar with Jesus. They would have been familiar with his teachings, with the ways in which he goes about things, and they would have been familiar with it and had been for some time. They themselves, in a way, would have been disciples of Jesus too, given John's understanding of who Jesus truly was as a teacher and as the Son of God. So it wouldn't have been just Jesus as well who would have known about John's arrest. Because we hear that in the text, right? When Jesus heard about John's arrest, he went out and started calling. Jesus would, have been, would not have been the only one. All of them would have known that John had been arrested. And so when Jesus comes calling, you answer. 
Now, some of you may be asking, well, if that's the case, and they were already disciples, why in the world would they be fishing instead of being with John? And why follow Jesus if they already had a teacher? And those are excellent questions. Y'all are so smart. I'm so glad you asked that. And that's because at that time, people often were both. You could work and be a disciple. Look at that. In fact, given the political and social situations that they were in, it would have been expected that one would be a disciple while also working to sustain themselves, their families, or their ministries. It's also entirely possible that when we think about the scriptures that chronicle the resurrected Christ visiting his disciples after the crucifixion, it's also possible that they never ever fully left behind their professions as fishermen, especially when we consider how often they either in those texts return to fishing, find themselves fishing, or talking about going back to fishing full-time in the other Gospels. This time, also including John among the other three, they're all still keeping their toes in their professions. And when Jesus called them from their boats, they had already been part-time disciples with full-time jobs for some time. Could have been months, could have been over a year at that point, but they had already had a relationship with Jesus in some way, shape, or form. But this time, when Jesus called them to come and follow, this time was different. This time was different. There was more at stake. John the Baptist had just been arrested. Things were heating up. There was more involved. And so this time, they were being called not just to come and learn, but to come and follow. They were being called to shift their focus from being part-time disciples to being full-time disciples. This time, after they finished their work for the day, after all the fish they had caught had been put away, the boats had been docked, the nets cleaned and stored, they left the lake shore, but not as fishermen any longer. They followed as disciples ready to take on the challenges of full-time discipleship, of ministry alongside Jesus. And so when they heard that call, they knew that this was the moment that they'd been training for their their whole time with John and with Jesus. They knew that this was the moment that they had been preparing for, that they had been studying for and waiting for. This was the moment. This was it. This was the call. They knew it was go time. Game face is on. Let's do this. They knew that when they left their boats that day, when they woke up, the next day would be completely different. And they answered that call seemingly without question. And it's because it was time. They were ready. It was time to do the thing that they had been preparing for. And that is why I believe that this is the moment that speaks to us right now, 
here today. We are like Andrew and Simon Peter and the sons of Zebedee and in other texts, Nathaniel and all of the others who answered Jesus's call to something radically different. Because we too have been part-time disciples for a very long time. Many of us have been followers of Jesus for a good amount of time now, even Some of us have been learning and preparing for years, if not lifetimes. Amen? Amen. Some of us maybe have just begun our faith walk, either as Christians or as Jesus followers, people who are seeking to follow the example of Christ and are eager to learn more, and so they're, they're learning on the fly. But all of us, all of us have been part time disciples in some way, shape, or form. All that learning, all that preparation, all the the Sunday school theology and the Sunday school stories and our times even here in the sanctuary and in Bible study, all of that learning and preparation and knowledge of the biblical narrative doesn't do us any good, doesn't do the world any good if we choose to remain part-time disciples, and full-time fishers, y'all. The time is now. The time is now. This is it. This is the call to put all of that preparation into practice. Now is the time. And in fact, the time has been now for some time. So if this If this is the sign that you've been asking for, you got it. If you've been waiting for the call, this is it. This is the time that has come, and we all need to make some major shifts in our lives to become full-time disciples. This is it, everybody. In other words, this is the time to ask ourselves as a people called Christian, as a church, yes, even as a denomination, United Methodists, I'm calling you out too. This is the time to ask ourselves, have we been living our discipleship fully or have we been part-time disciples at best? Amen. Now, am I saying you need to leave your jobs or your families? You might want to. I don't know. But if I am not saying that you... Folks, let's be honest here. Let's be honest here. There are days when even I need a break. But am I saying that you need to leave your jobs? Am I saying you need to leave your families or your lives behind to devote yourself to full-time ministry? That is not what I'm saying. A, that's not practical. B, I can't see many of us adapting to monastic life real well. But my question is, are you living a full-time discipleship life? Are you taking these lessons from our sacred texts? Are you taking these lessons of Christ these examples of Jesus, 
And are you living them out full time? Are you actively engaging your faith in a way that allows you to bring your whole self to church and to seek ways to deepen your connection with God and Christ and the Holy Spirit? Because it's not just about what you get from worship, it's about what you bring to it as well. Are you actively engaging your faith? Are you actively finding the broken places in your world, in your spheres of influence, in the world around you, so that you can enter into those cracks in a way that embodies the command to love God with your whole heart and mind and spirit, and just as important, here's the tough one, loving your neighbor as yourself. Amen. In ways that are authentic and real and can be witnessed by everyone you come in contact with, whether they know Jesus or not. Are you part-time disciples or are you living a full-time spiritual life? That is the question. And that is what I want us to sit with this week and in the weeks to come. Would you have answered the call the same way Peter and Andrew and the others did? Because we're not so different. We've been receiving instruction for quite some time. But when you're called, would you respond the same way? Would you have answered that call? Will you? Can you? These are the questions. And in truth, I believe that we all are capable that each and every one of us here in this place and throughout space and time are capable of responding to the call, yes, I am ready. I have been ready. I have been waiting for this moment. I believe that we are all capable if we are willing to accept the challenge. The challenge to come and follow the challenge to be full-time disciples for the transformation of the world. Amen. And it won't be easy. The type of Christianity that we have here, the type of following that we have here of the Jesus way is not easy, beloveds. It is not simply a matter of following a set of rules of listening to what I say and accepting it wholesale and just doing things for the sake of doing them in the hopes that we'll be made whole once again. It's not an easy faith walk. It's not an easy faith to follow. It wasn't easy for the disciples then, and it sure as hell isn't easy for the disciples now. Amen? It won't be easy, but man, will it be worth it. Amen. It won't be easy, but ooh, will it be worth it. And it requires us to pray 
together and in private. It requires us to discern if we're ready. Are we ready? Are you ready? Part of that hard work requires us to record our priorities, to take a record and to take a deep dive into who we are, how we move in the world, and who we want to be. It requires doing the hard work of holding up mirrors to ourselves, myself included, holding up that mirror to us, to each other, to our communities, to identify where those broken places are so that we can affect lasting change and transformation. It's hard work, but oh, is it worth it? And it requires us doing it together. It requires us doing it as a community, not alone. It requires fellowship. It requires us to do it together in ways that feed us spiritually and inspire us to go forth, to answer the call, and to do good and to do it well. The time is now, church. The time is now, beloveds. Answer the call. Come and follow. And let us embrace our calls to justice, to mercy, to humility, and to love in a way that makes our very lives testimonies to the good news of Jesus Christ. Are you ready? Because the time is now. Let us do this together. One people, one in Christ, one with God. Let us be full-time disciples and let us do it together. May it be so. Amen. Amen.